Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. It's hard because, you know, while our children were very small, they only saw their faith as something positive and beautiful. It was, it was their true north. So it was... A horrifying shock to them to realize that people could hate them just because they're Muslim. I'm Michelle Laurie, and this is the Nitty Gritty Committee Stories of the Guts and the Glory of Life. Susan Carland is a favorite guest of shows ranging from ABC's QA to Koshi's Sunrise, but Less publicly, she's completed her PhD a couple of months ago in the School of Political and Social Inquiry at Monash University. To celebrate, her husband, Walid Ali, finally gave her something she'd been asking for for years. A surprise party. Now, obviously, it's not easy to surprise someone when they're asking for it, let alone a lady with a PhD in social inquiry. But with typical determination, Walid engaged both sides of his enormous brain to pull off a magnificent ruse involving a friend with a pretend problem on the other side of town, which he then pretended to get very huffy about to really throw her off the scent. To me, this story is classic Waleed and Susan. It's ingenious, devoted and quite goofy. But there are certain other descriptions of the couple floating around the place you may have heard of. They've certainly heard all of them. But just whatever you do, please don't call them a Muslim power couple. They really hate that. I give you Dr. Susan Carland. It's bizarre. We're not even remotely powerful. <laughs> I know, but you know, I've seen those beautiful photos of you online and they go, what does the, what does the Muslim power couple reckon about ISIS or something or other? <laughs> like you're, you like, you have to be the spokesperson, you know? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. That old chestnut, the mm. spokesperson. Do you feel that? Um, I try not to. Like I, particularly if I'm asked to comment on things, I will always preface it by saying, I'm not a spokesperson. I'm not a community leader. I'm not an expert on these things. I'm just a person yeah. just living my life. I have opinions on things, but I don't represent anyone other than myself. Mm. And that's the kind of the frustrating thing is that there's this sort of um, need for there always to be Muslim spokespeople. Mm. There needs to be, well, who, where is your leader, aliens? You know, take us yeah. to your leader as well, you know. And why don't their leaders speak out about stuff? And it's yeah, like, like we're not. I don't they? I hear Muslim people speaking out about this stuff all the, the time. Anyone with access to the internet can go to Google right now and type in the words Muslims condemn terrorism and just see the page after page after page of press release, media statements, books that have been written like from around the world. 
when there's all that sort of stuff and you see it constantly in the media, ABC reported it, you know, the Australian, all the ranges of media from right from your one end to the other have got reports on Muslim leaders who condemn terrorism. At some point, I think the people who say that need to take responsibility for the fact that we are condemning, we have been for a long time, you're choosing not to listen. Mm -hmm. So we can talk as much as we want, but if you've got your fingers in your ear, we can't control that. Mm. I get the sense that we'll lead is particularly sort of taken aback by his new status, perhaps since joining commercial television, Mm. that there's been pressure on him, a new pressure. I feel as though he identifies himself as an academic, uh, a university dude, you know, a dad, a husband, but increasingly the world around him identifies him as Muslim. Mm, Yeah. Do you think that's true? Yeah, I mean... His faith is definitely an important part of his identity. I think it's more that he's seen as the Muslim guy in the media. Totally. And so every time he says something, well, that must be what the Muslims think or, well, what does what does he say about this? And if he says this, well, why didn't he say that? And if he said that, well, why didn't you say this? And so it's a lot of pressure on one person. Mm. And it feels like that he can't win. I no, mean, we've done interviews. You cannot win yeah. with anybody. Yeah. You, you, you know, there'll be just as many people angry in the Muslim community as, as people in, in the wider community that yeah. are disappointed or angry or confused. It seems like whenever I'm on the project, at least, and we talk about an issue that has anything to do with Islam, he if he speaks, he's condemned. If he doesn't speak, he's mm. condemned. Yep. Um, yeah, because if he talks about it, that's him trying to implement Sharia by yeah. stealth. <laughs> and if he doesn't talk about it, well, look at that Muslim in denial about the reality. Yeah. One thing I did ask him the other night when we, I said, I'm talking to Susan uh, during the week. What should I ask her? What should I talk to her? I said, oh, you know, I need to talk to her, ask her about her conversion. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good story. And I said, oh, I'm sure, you know. It's not a good story. I said, I'm sure it includes some hot Egyptian guy. (laughs) And he goes, well, it might, but it wasn't me. (laughs) I assumed, it's very sexist of me, I assumed you met and fell in love with Waleed. And converted to Islam. Yeah. Not true. Everybody thinks that. Yeah. Yeah, everybody thinks that. And I think it's um, because the reason people assume that is because it seems to be beyond belief that a woman would choose to be Muslim. Yes. I think because of all the uh, assumptions about sexism. You know, it's really interesting. I've got this idea. I haven't fleshed it through fully, so I may regret now recording this on a podcast. But I really have noticed the way that people talk about sex workers is very similar to the way we talk about Muslim women, mm. which is there's an utter disbelief that anyone could, any woman would choose to engage in this out of choice. Yes. There must be an element of coercion, Stockholm syndrome, um, you know, altered reality. No woman would really choose this. And so the way, which I'm sure that comparison offends everybody. <laughs> <laughs> sex workers hate it. Muslims hate it. Everybody hates it. But there's a lot of similarities in the way, and I'm still trying to, you know, tease through in my mind where this comes from, you know, what are the theories or the ideas that underpin it. But there is this genuine disbelief that any woman would actively choose something that for a lot of people, it's quite revolting, you know, whether it be sex work or Islam, people find, well, it's the antithesis of what a thinking woman would choose. Mm. And so that's why people assume, oh, well, you must have become Muslim for Waleed because why else would you? Mm -hmm. There's no other you know, sensible reason. And so when I go, actually, no, you know, I knew Waleed, but we weren't together. I was a teenager when I became Muslim. In fact, after I became Muslim, as I'm sure he told you, um, people encouraged us to get together. And I said, that guy, I wouldn't marry him if he was the last man on earth. He did tell me. (laughs) (laughs) So it doesn't let me forget that one. (laughs) Um, You know, I really, it absolutely wasn't for Waleed. So what was your, before we get to your conversion then, let's go Mm. back to your childhood and 
you know, what sort of upbringing did you have? Where did you grow up? Was religion part of it? So uh, pretty unexciting eastern suburbs upbringing. My family were great. My parents got divorced when I was seven, but, you know, my parents were loving, involved parents. You know, I have a brother. Um, it was pretty standard. Um, I was from English background? I think my mum's originally from New Zealand. Right. But my dad's, you know, family's been in Australia for however long. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Yeah, it was really normal, really unexciting and boring. We went to church, but it was a very relaxed church environment. Um, you know, my mum has very radical ideas about Christianity. She likes to think that God is a black woman and, you know, she's really, <laughs> she's got really out there ideas. Um, so by no means fundamentalist or anything like that at all. Um, and when I was sort of in high school, I got interested in the Baptist church, just of my own volition, sort of trying to, I guess, understand my own Christian identity. Um, so my family didn't go to the Baptist church. They went to the Uniting Church, which is much more sort of relaxed. Uh, but my experience at the Baptist church was really great as well. Everyone I met there was lovely, kind, helpful. Everything you would want a good Christian experience to be was mm-hmm. the experience I had. Everyone was, I could not fault them. But the Baptist church is a, a little bit sterner, isn't it, than the Uniting well, Church? It, I mean, I think they can be more, uh, have sort of, at times have more black and white ideas about, say, biblical interpretation. Mm-hmm. But they were, no one, I couldn't describe anyone that I encountered there, any of my church leaders as stern. Everyone was just so nice okay. and so encouraging and um thoughtful and selfless. It was just such a lovely experience. But it was when I was 17, um, I started to feel that I had questions that I wasn't getting answered at the church. And that's sort of what encouraged me to start looking elsewhere. Yeah. Okay. Well, I had a similar process and I ended up at Buddhism. Right. So what was there a hot Buddhist guy there for you? There wasn't even. No, you're quite right. There wasn't even. No, no. It just seemed to make sense to me in a way that nothing else did. It seemed to tap into beliefs that I had already developed myself and seemed like the truth to me. Mm-hmm. So was it a similar feeling for you with Islam? Yeah, it was for me it was it took a while because I was very resistant to believing that it was true. I didn't want to be Muslim. Um because of, you know, the way Islam and Muslims are perceived by most westerners isn't good and I had the same perception. What year was this? Cuz I feel as though before 2001 there yeah. was no perception in Australia of Muslims. Oh, uh, it was it was just before 2001. It wasn't long before, but there was still it was tied up in ideas of um the first Iraq war. And also there was this awful film and book called Not Without My Daughter. I don't know if you yeah, ever heard yes, 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 That yes. really, in, uh, that, I think that was the only um, thing my mum knew about Islam. This is a story about <laughs> a couple. And it's a true story, like, a, you know, not denying this woman's story. A woman married an Islamic Iran, man. Iranian guy who was lovely in America, model, modern man, and they went back to visit Iran and he changed totally and became the standard Muslim psychopath and beat her and wouldn't let her leave and she had to try to escape with her daughter to the American embassy. And it is a true story. So I'm not denying that this is what happened, this horrible experience happened to this woman, but that was the really the only narrative Westerners seem to have about Islam and particularly uh, Muslim women. And then terrorism becomes part of our lives after September 11. And certainly personally for me, that was the first time uh, an idea of Islamic terrorism ever really entered my mind. And it's been part of our culture and the zeitgeist ever since, increasingly it seems. So in amongst that, you're mm. converting to Islam. <laughs> Good move. <Yeah. laughs> I mean, how? How? Yeah, I know. I wonder that too. Um, well, it was just before September 11th, so at least I'd made the decision before all of that out of difficulty happened. Mm. Um, but it just it got to the stage for me where I genuinely believed that, that this was true and 
I, even though I was really worried about my, how my family was going to react, I was worried about how my friends were going to react. Um, I realized this is what I think is true and I can't pretend, I can't not be Muslim anymore. This is mm. what I think. Um, and so, yeah, when I was 19, I became Muslim and it was hard when I came out as a Muslim, so to speak, um, especially because I wanted to start wearing the headscarf or the hijab straight away and I was worried about how people would, would react to that. Um, so that was a pretty difficult period. Uh, but once I sort of got through that, and I mean, you know, it's been 17 years now, I'm 36. Mm. So you, most people who knew me beforehand who are still my friend or family members are cool now. This is an enormous question to ask you to cover fairly briefly. What What is Islam? What is true about it to mm. you? Uh, I think for me, first of all, um, the – I. I liked the idea of God in Islam in that it's it's a one indivisible God. So it's, there is this concept of only one God. God uh, doesn't have children or offspring or anything like that. And I also really like the idea that um, in Islam, if you, you know, as in many of the uh, monotheistic traditions or God-centered traditions, there's this idea that if you do the wrong thing, you ask God for forgiveness and that's it. In Islam, that is it. You don't. There is. There doesn't have to be a sacrifice. There's no intermediary. We don't believe that anyone had to die for God to be able to forgive us. It's just if you do the wrong thing, God and say sorry, God forgives you. That's it. And so, there's actually this real intimacy between human and God, uh, with nothing in between that I that really appealed to me. The other thing that really appealed to me that again um, surprised me and surprises other people when I tell them is that I really liked Islam's uh, stance on social justice. Just in you know, strong contradistinction to what we see nowadays by countries allegedly run according to Sharia law and Muslims doing horrific things in the name of Islam. When I actually read what uh, Muslim classical Muslim scholars said about how uh, Islam should run in a day-to-day life and on a societal level, it made so much sense to me and it was so compassionate and it was so logical. Um, I realised that if I felt if a society could run this way, it would be a well-functioning and flourishing society where the vulnerable would be protected. There would be autonomy for people. Um, the state had a big responsibility for looking after people. And I thought, this makes a lot of sense to me. So I actually had an intellectual connection to Islam before I had a religious connection. Like I, I was reading, you know, these old scholarly books that I thought, this makes sense to me um, on a on an intellectual level. And it was later that I thought, well, if this really makes sense, then I think it's divine. And that's when the God connection came in. Mm, wow. Is there a place on earth at the moment that is living? No. None? No. But I think that's also we've got to keep in mind because ultimately all religions come through the human filter. Yeah. You know, whether we've got sacred texts or, you know, if there's a religion that has a prophet or a leader living amongst them that's a mouthpiece of God or whatever or in Islam, obviously we don't, there's no person who is seen as divine now. But all of them, it, it's they are, it's always the human rendering of the divine will, and humans will constantly get it wrong, yeah. or their their own selfish needs or desires will come into it and interplay. And in the end, it, it's really important that we always keep that in mind that this is a human endeavor at grappling with what the divine will is, and humans will get it wrong a lot because we're fallible. Mm. We stuff up, and we have our own issues that we bring into it. We always have our lens, and that's why you can have. Two very different people read the same religious text and come away with totally different um, practices and understandings. You know, as Muslims, we say, you don't read the Quran. The Quran reads you. So when you come and read the book, what you take away from it is actually telling us who you are. Wow. Certainly there are Buddhist monks in Burma at the moment who are calling for the killing of Muslims. Yeah. 
And that, to me, is an outrageous affront to Buddhism. Absolutely. And certainly it is to His Holiness the Dalai Lama as well. But, yeah, you're right. We it, it comes through a human filter. Yeah. And I have actually had monks say to me, well, perhaps, you know, perhaps they're, they're saving people from atrocities that those Muslims would commit. <laughs> yeah. And it's amazing how, as humans, we can rationalise yeah. those things. Yeah. We're very good at that as human beings. Absolutely. Um, what... Can you tell, talk to me about the hijab? Yes. I, I just had someone ask me this morning, why does Susan Carlin wear a hijab? Mm. And I said, well, that's a good question. I don't know. Because, again, it seems like a very anti-feminist thing, thing to do, to hide your hair yeah. from us. So I wear it for a tax write-off. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the, the first thing to keep in mind is that in Islam, modesty is actually something that's seen as highly valued in men and women. Modesty in behaviour, modesty in dress. In a modern Western context, there is no premium placed on modesty. It's not seen generally as something positive no. in, in your behaviour or your dress. You know, people who act modestly are seen as weak or pathetic or shy. They're not going to achieve anything. They're not pushing themselves forward. Similarly with dressing modestly, it's not seen as... Modern. It's just seen as anti-modern. Whereas in Islam, modesty of dress of men and women and behaviour has always been seen as something really admirable and positive. So it's important to keep that in mind. But in the end, the reason I wear the hijab or the headscarf is the, as an act of worship to God. As a Muslim, we believe everything we do can either be an act of worship or just a mindless endeavour, like mindfulness. Yeah, yeah. You're bringing everything we do back to a, a as an act of worship or a connection to God. And by doing so, we can take the mundane and turn it into something sacred. So I do it because I be, it's a, as an act of worship to God. I believe as a Muslim that um, uh, Muslim men and women, are the, that for women is covering the hair. Now, there are certainly a lot of Muslims and even some Muslim scholars that say that's not the case. Women don't have to cover their hair. Um, but you know, a lot do. And it's for that reason that you'll find Muslim men will wear beards. A lot of men wear beards. It's a, it's a, it's a sign of modesty and it's a part of our tradition. Now that's the primary reason, but there is also a lot of additional reasons that Muslim women will cover their hair. Um, on top of that, you know, there, there are Muslim women who will wear it and say, this is a feminist statement in a society where women's bodies are used to sell everything from toothpaste to screwdrivers to cars. Me covering my body is about reclaiming my body and saying, I'll decide who gets to see how I look and what parts of me they see. And by wearing a hijab and covering my body, I'm not wanting my body to be commodified in that way. For other women, it's very much a political statement, especially in in some countries overseas where they tried to ban the hijab. Muslim countries tried to ban the hijab. The women wore the hijab in protest to say, you're not allowed to take this away from me and this is imperialist that you're trying. Even on a budget, Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Take away our hijabs. For other women, it's just a very cultural thing. In their culture, that's what women do. In fact, I have a friend from Malaysia who said, I never thought about why I wore my hijab until I came to Australia because in Malaysia, that's just what we did. You never question it. Just as women, we just cover our hair. And it wasn't until I came here and people kept saying to me, why do you wear that? Why do you wear that? That I thought, why do I wear it? So there's all these um, different reasons why you'll find that Muslim women might say that they wear it. And those reasons can change and and all those sort of things. But ultimately, it it is supposed to be part of an act of worship to God Um, and something that we see generally should be positive. I I would never want a woman to be forced to wear it. Mm. You know, I hate seeing women being made to wear it. I also hate seeing women being made to take it off. I hate that women uh, aren't allowed to wear it at public schools in France. Mm. But I hate in the same way that women have to cover in countries overseas like Afghanistan or Saudi Arabia. Um, Big... Not only because I think it's an imposition of women's autonomy, but from a religious point of view, there was never any imposition in this regard. There was never any, there's no precedent religiously for it to be enforced on a woman, whether she covers or uncovers. Um, and so that bothers me from from a spiritual aspect as well. So in Buddhism, we will set our intention before we do something and, and sort of dedicate what we're doing to all sentient beings. So yeah, in a similar way, absolutely. you're setting your intention every day, putting your hijab on and yeah. dedicating it to God. And But beyond the headscarf, everything we do, whether, the way you take a drink of water, you know, the way you're kind to your neighbor, if I let someone in, in the you know street or whatever, um, it's just about reminding myself who I am, what my values are, why I'm here who it is that uh, the God that I worship and what I'm supp- how I'm meant to just live as a person. What does it mean to live my life authentically or, or um, and altruistically? So it is, as you said, it's about being having intention, about being really mindful in, in all situations. As a mother of fairly young children still, how, how, do, you, how do you make, help them make sense of this world mm. where you're teaching them these values yeah. that are beautiful? Uh, but they're being told that their values are something very different. Yeah, it is difficult. Um, you know, just from a – it's hard because, you know, while our children were very small, they only saw their faith as something positive and beautiful. It was it was their true north. Um, you know, all the Muslims around them that they loved were very positive role models. They only saw happiness and goodness in their religion. So it was – a horrifying shock to them to realise that people could hate them just because they're Muslim. Um, People who've never met them just hate them because they're Muslim and hate Islam. It was a really um, confronting and confusing uh, wake. I mean, I don't know how you explain that to children, to be honest, that people hate you without knowing you just Mm. because of who they think you are. Um, And that's a very difficult one. And so, you know, my, my son's eight and so he's still a bit oblivious. But my daughter's 12 and, and getting older and so every now and then she'll come home and say, why are ISIS saying this or, or what, mm. what, how do I explain this to my friends? And so um, for me it's always the balance between recognising the difficulty. You know, my kids don't go to Muslim schools. Um, recognising the real difficulty of being a child in this environment. I find it difficult as an adult. Mm. Um, uh, and, you know, not wanting to put them in situations too hard for them or, or making them do anything 
But on the flip side, wanting them to feel proud of their identity, not feel that it's something to be ashamed or has to be hidden away or that they have anything to apologise for. You know, there was a, you know, when an incident happened recently and my daughter said to me, what do I say about this? I said, you have nothing to apologise for. Absolutely what these people did is wrong and horrific um, and we can never defend it. But you personally have nothing to apologise for and don't feel that you have to. Mm. Um, because it's, I think there is actually an important distinction between acknowledging the wrong that happened but not having to take personal ownership. Mm. And especially when you're 12, you cannot carry the weight of 1,400 years of religious and political global fighting on your shoulders. It's not fair. No. Um, and so I guess, I, like I said, I try to be cognizant of how difficult the situation can be and be supportive while also trying to raise them to be um, not feel ashamed of who they are. It's okay to be proud of being Muslim. Mm. It's interesting. As a dedicated Catholic, my mum has really found her common ground here with uh, with Muslims who are mm. expected to apologise, you know, for things that other Muslims do because she says, you know, I am appalled and heartbroken that children suffered in Catholic institutions. Yeah. But I can't apologise for that. Mm. If anything, it would be rude of me to do that. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous of me to apologise, you know, um, as a Catholic. And so that's the common ground that she has found with yeah. with Muslims in the community who are expected to apologise. And could you ever apologise enough, though? And, well, not only, No, we can't. Because no. say we apologise for the last thing and condemn and go, it's horrific. And then the next thing happens and people say, well, why haven't you condemned? Yeah. And what's problematic for me is that if your assumption if your default opinion of me is that unless I come out and condemn that therefore I do support, then you actually owe me the apology yeah. because I'm a human being and I think humanely, believe it or not. And so why would you assume if I've said nothing that therefore I must support? Mm. That's horrible. Why? And even if I do condemn this one, why do you expect it again for the next one? Why is it the constant default mm. is all Muslims actually do support this? Yeah. And statistically, we know that that is not I mean, true. As you say, you can Google it and we can know that that is not true. Well, not only that, I mean, there's, you know, however many one point something billion Muslims in the world. Mm. If we were all like ISIS, how would the world look now? Yeah. Everyone would be dead. Yeah. But in fact, believe it or not, for many, many decades, generations, Muslims have been living amongst you, not as sleeper cells, but as peaceful, normal citizens who, and they're not Muslims who don't get their faith or who are lapsed. We are actually the religious Muslims who are living our faith authentically and really. Um, that, they're the aberration. What are the questions that you're asked a lot? Uh, why do you wear the hijab and why do you convert? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get that. Yeah, <laughs> but what about on the on the street, on the train, on the? Do people do people feel that they can approach you and ask you something or tell you something? Um, yeah. To be honest, lately the only times people have appro uh, approached me on public transport have been to say um, to try to go out of their way to be nice, which has yeah. been really nice. I think people are starting to be conscious of. The some of the awful backlash against Muslims with Reclaim Australia and all that. And I think people see it and they, re and you know, those stories about Muslims, especially sadly Muslim women, are often the ones most commonly abused on the street. Mm. Um, they never go after the big burly Muslim man with the beard. It's always the Muslim woman because they assume because of the stereotype, oh, they're meek and weak and, mm. you know, they're, they're a, an easy target. Mm. Um, so people actually recently have gone out of their way to say nice things to me. Is that condescending? Because I'm one of those people who, mm. if I'm in Coles and I see a lady in a hijab, I smile at her very deliberately to let her know I'm with your sister. <laughs> you are welcome yeah, you in are, my country. <laughs> yes, I welcome you, sister. I mean, is that weird as well? I know. Look, 
to be honest, in the end, I would rather people do that. You know, like it is not because I know from my own experience. Like I remember once um, after, I think it was after September 11, there were these, these horrible spate of attacks on Sikh men yes. because these Islamophobes couldn't even tell the difference. Oh, you're all brown. You wear a turban. Same thing, right? Towelheads. So, mm. I, and I felt so sad about that. And so I went up to a Sikh man at the fruit and veggie shop and I said, look, I am Muslim. I just want you to know I'm so upset and I, I don't want you to think Muslims don't care and, you know. And so I get where it comes from. People are trying to do the right thing and they see all this horrible stuff happening um, in the media and what's being said and they think, you know, how can I as a human being just try to do something nice? And yeah. so I get what you're saying that, oh, could it be condescending? But if people are trying to be nice, I want to cut them some slack yeah. as well. You know, like I, you don't want someone to be like, hi, can I help you with your groceries? You go, how dare you? Yeah. I'm an independent <laughs> woman. I belong here. <laughs> yeah, actually, I've got a funny story about that. I went to the bakery once and I noticed I was getting a lot of sympathetic smiles, like a huge amount. And I, on the one hand, I was like, well, at least they're not abusing me and calling me, you know, expletive, whatever. And then on the other hand, I'm like, you know, I don't need you to condescend me and I'm a strong woman and how dare you. And then I got to my car and I had toothpaste all over my mouth that I'd forgotten to wash off. And I thought it was, a, you know, it was a good wake up, like, okay, get over yourself, you know, Susan. <laughs> Maybe you just look like you couldn't manage a toothbrush. Sometimes you've just got toothpaste on your face. Yeah. That's yep. really all there all is to right it. Down your hijab. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you in terms of your relationship, if I can ask, you know, does this put pressure on you guys at home? Um Waleed a couple of weeks ago got twenty million hits mm. on YouTube on something that he'd said uh, about ISIS. He was calling them weak and stuff on the project and everyone loved it and loved hearing it. And let's be honest, loved hearing it from a, a Muslim man. Mm. How do you cope with that? Because again, I think yeah. you're not attention seekers. As yeah. people, yeah, but it's coming to you. Yeah, um, it can be a bit weird and overwhelming because, yeah, like you said, it's not the the desire isn't for attention. Like I know, well, they did that because he wanted, he felt it needed to be said. He didn't want it to be about him. Mm. Um, so it can be, it can be something we sort of struggle with, and because it's not our natural fit, and it's not, you know, especially him because he's the one in the media. He's not the guy that wants to be the celebrity no. or anything like that, and so. Um, I think it's good in that we sort of have each other. We're really tight and we ground each other and, you know, without wanting to be mushy, we're so in love, you know, and that really helps. We've been married for, I think, 14 years. We got married ridiculously young and having each other, like, it makes a massive difference. Just it's someone who gets it and understands and encourages you, but also tells you when, okay, you know, toughen up. It's actually not as bad as you think. And so I think just being we feel like each other is in the other person's corner yeah. and that really helps. I guess this kind of pressure either forces cracks or mm. strengthens. And it can and there will the be times when we're stressed and you will snap at each other but we actually normally come back together pretty quickly because we just need each other. Yeah. Um any plans for the future for you in terms of media? Oh god no. Because <laughs> I feel like people no keep trying to drag desire. you in. <laughs> We all keep trying yeah. to drag you in. <laughs> no. It's Susan. Uh, no. <laughs> no, I'm an academic by heart. I finished my PhD this year. I'm, I'm starting a full-time job at um, Monash Uni next year, and that's that's what I love. That's where I'm What's it of, about, your PhD? What's your job about? My PhD was called Fighting Islam, and it's all about the way Muslim women fight sexism within the Muslim community. Great. So, yeah, I just interviewed all these badass Muslim women, and it was great. It was great. Yeah, it was great. It was really fun. Um, So... Uh, that's what my PhD was on. And tell us about some of the badass Muslim women. 
Well, so I interviewed um, theologians and activists and writers and bloggers. And so these women who were just trying to create change and fight sexism that occurs within the Muslim community uh, in whatever way they can, whether it be through writing or organizing things or they're theologians. So they're out there saying, actually, you've got the way you're interpreting this. That's totally wrong. And they're just the way I that see sounds them, to me like a potentially dangerous pursuit. And, and is that Islamophobia on my part? Am I thinking... People seem genuinely people outside the Muslim community seem genuinely surprised at how much support these women have. Okay. I see, and that's the thing is, and that's why I wanted to do the PhD because whenever I tell people outside the Muslim community about it, they'd be like, "Well, there obviously wouldn't be many women like that," or you know, "Do they get fatwa against them?" It's like, "Well, no, they don't." You know, <laughs> these women when I interviewed them, uh, the second highest category of people they named as supporting them was Muslim men, whether it be their husbands, their fathers, their male teachers. There was a lot of support for these women. They all said they received more support from the Muslim community than criticism. Of course they get criticism within the Muslim community, like, you know, especially small communities, we will disagree with each other. And especially when you're a community that feels under siege and under immense pressure. Um, But they get a huge amount of support because um, the idea of Muslims and particularly Muslim women fighting sexism isn't a new thing. You know, at all, and in fact, all except one of the women I interviewed used their religion as a way to fight the sexism they were experiencing. So when they experience sexism in whatever facet in the Muslim community, they'd always come back and go, hang on a minute, that's not what our religion teaches. You can't say that. You can't do that. You can't make me do this or say I'm not allowed to do that because of X, Y, Z. Um, and so that's why this is not a new thing. Muslim women have been doing this since the advent of Islam, using their religion to come to people and say, hang on a minute. That's not what the Quran says. That's not what how this is meant to go. And you're not allowed to do this to me. Um, but no one outside or very few people outside the Muslim community seemed to even realize that this was happening. And so, and when I went to look to the literature review or not, there was hardly any information. And I thought, how sad that in, at least in English, there's no information about this. What I, I know for a fact is just been going on and going on all the time now. So... I thought this is me contributing to the the body of knowledge by writing it. Yeah, setting your intention and just doing what you can. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. congratulations. Thanks, God, I'm glad it's over. On all of the above. (laughs) (laughs) Getting toothpaste on my face. All of the above and answering the questions again (laughs) about why you wear hijab, why you changed religion, why you – I've got one more for you. Not even water? No, not even water. That's everyone's Ramadan question. It amazes all of us. Yeah. But surely Allah would let you have yeah. water. How do you not die? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Susan Carland, who is an avid tweeter, by the way. So uh, if you would like to catch up with her online, she just uses her own name. Unlike many of her online critics, she is at Susan Carland. S-U-S-A-N-C-A-R-L-A-N-D. Please be kind to her online. And while I'm at it, a couple of weeks ago, I invited listeners to leave feedback on Facebook about my conversation with Making a Murderer's villainous prosecutor, Ken Kratz. And i got to tell you, I really regretted that because I, I spent days dealing with angry strangers who are insulting me online and I've been very lucky in my life I've ne- I've haven't had to do that much and I found it really strange and I employed different tactics I argued with them I was very nasty to them then I started deleting them I tried blocking them which kind of didn't work sometimes I don't understand because I've never tried to block anyone on Facebook before I've blocked heaps on Twitter don't get me wrong I'm not an angel but um so this time I thought let me just make it 
really clear, as clear as I possibly can, please hit me up on Facebook with interview suggestions, questions, and any manner of adult conversation. But please don't hit me up to be rude to me or mean to me or tell me I'm shit or tell me I'm really bad at my job because this isn't my job. I don't make any money out of this. It's a hobby. Please don't tell me I'm the world's worst journalist. I'm not even a journalist. Like, just just let's all try to be nice to each other on the internet. That was like, that was crazy, man. And I know it's nothing compared to what people like Susan deal with online every day. But um, if I could stop it from ever happening again, that would be great. So please don't hit me up on Facebook if you are nuts. Thank you so much for downloading the nitty gritty committee, the guts and the glory of life. Please tell your friends if you like it. Don't tell them if they're nuts. And we'll see you again in a couple of weeks with another episode. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.